Uh, time for our main guest of the evening. It is Susie Carlick. Am I saying Carlick? Is that right? Yes, you are. Oh, I shouldn't. I should have had faith in myself, shouldn't I? Yeah, but you know, it's it's a weird name, so it's understandable. Well, I don't. I, I don't know. It's. It, I just lose confidence in names. I don't know if you ever, this is not relevant to what you're here to talk about at all. But I, I, even when I know someone, sometimes if there's like an Amanda, I'm like, Amanda, Amanda, Amanda. Are you sure it's not Angela? Oh God, I don't want to say it just in case. And then I get it wrong. So I should, I, I'm going to aim to have more confidence in names going forward. You know what? My, my older brother um, has the most confidence in names of anyone in the world, even though he almost never gets them correct. <laughs> he just throws stuff out and figures, well, you know, I've got a one in a million chance of being right. Maybe I'll be right. But if not, it's entertaining. Yeah, there you it go. Is entertaining. It is, you might as well give it a go. I, I envy those people who can go into a room going, I'm going to call you Darren. And it doesn't matter if that's not your name. Oh wow! Everyone's a Darren eventually, yeah. Exactly. Now, Susie, you are here because um, you do something very special. So you're part of uh, part of you are the brains behind Pretty Deadly Self Defense, which is well. I mean, I don't know why I'm I'm going to try and explain that to you. You try and explain it to us. That seems the better way of doing it, doesn't it? Thanks. Yes, I'm the founder of Pretty Deadly Self Defense, the brains and the brawn. Actually, that's probably the only time I'm ever going to be able to make that claim. <laughs> Pretty Deadly is a women's self-defense program. I mean, it's primarily for women at the moment, but it's actually open to everyone of all genders. Um, it's a self-defense program that I developed based on my experience as a violent crime survivor and then my subsequent many years of martial arts training. The approach that we take in Pretty Deadly is a little bit different than what you normally think of when you think of self-defense. Usually self-defense kind of comes at things, and, and I totally get this as a martial artist, but a lot of self-defense trainers come at things like, okay, let's go. And, you know, they're really, really gung-ho and really aggressive, but that's very difficult for women to learn in that fashion. There's so many other things going on um, for women in a self-defense class and having an instructor who's a black belt and has probably just shown you how badass he is also be like, ah, oh, super aggressive. It's, it just makes it impossible. So I created pretty deadly, um, because I want more women to feel comfortable learning about their bodies in this way. Cause that's all it really is, is body literacy over body bodily harm is what we usually say. Um, and yeah, it's uh, focused on natural movements, things that we do every day in our daily lives. So we do have a, an all men's program and we adapt the movements a little bit between men and women because some things are gender specific. Um, but it's taking those movements you do every day and then reapplying them to self-defense situations so that you don't have to worry about, am I going to remember this? Do I need to train the muscle memory? Do I have to train for 20 years? Um, it, it, how do I know this is even going to come up when I need it? It's already there inside of you and we're just helping you make a new connection with it. So it's, it becomes kind of intuitive. For people. Yeah, it's really intuitive. And uh, I mean, you talked about that. Do you, I mean, you trained and you trained hard and for a long time, right? 
And was that your experience was that the instructors or many of the instructors you came across were that kind of character? And, and you know, did, did that mean it, it took longer to get where you wanted to go? Oh, that depends on moods. So my, my sensei um, is... A, I've known him for such a long time. So, and everybody's human. So you go through periods where life is great and you're light and you're happy. And in the dojo, those training periods were really fun and full of laughter. And we were really encouraged to play. We were always encouraged to play. But, you know, again, life is life. And if he was going through a more difficult time or just in a really bad mood or whatever it was, then sometimes those trainings were very much like very aggressive, very militant, um, but always with some play. That is one of the gifts that he gave me and I think gave everyone that has ever trained with him. But there are, there are people who, and women as well, not just men, but there are people who are just super militant about it. Um, and there are people who are just really, really light and happy. And then you've got everything in between. So it kind of depends. But I think when people are thinking about self-defense um, and creating a self-defense class or offering a self-defense class, they get themselves really worked up because it's important. You know, the idea of like, I want you to be able to defend yourself. I want you to be able to protect yourself. And then we kind of, I think people just get themselves really keyed up. Like, you got to know how to do this because this might happen to you. And I really want you to get it. And I want you to get it now. But that's a lot of pressure. And on top of the pressure of just being there in the first place. So that's one of the things we're trying to counter with Pretty Deadly. And and how do you do that? How do you make that kind of because I I noticed you talked about um, in something I read that you'd written about martial arts not being necessarily just a, a, a kind of a sport or an action. It's like a lifestyle, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how do you kind of get people into that frame of mind to to make these sort of things into their lifestyle rather than oh now I've got to switch on self defense mode? Um. Well, I'd like to separate martial arts from self-defense because they're two different things. I mean, at the end of the day, there are martial artists who compete. They support their families and their, themselves as professional athletes, basically. Um, but at the end of the day, martial arts is a hobby. Mm -hmm. Self-defense, which is, you know, the foundation is often in martial arts. But self-defense is something completely different. It's not competition. It's not a fight. Um, it's really about defending yourself. So getting into a martial arts mindset or, or making, incorporating a martial arts spirit into your daily life isn't so necessary because that's kind of one path. But what I've tried to do with Pretty Deadly is take some of the, take some of the essences of martial arts that I felt were really, really important to me as a woman and boil them down into more bite-sized chunks that we can help help people incorporate that into their lives. So by doing that, the first thing that we really work on is helping people learn how to trust their bodies. And by that, I don't necessarily mean, um, I don't necessarily mean in a, in a, that kind of like overly self-care kind of way. And I mean that in the way that um, the wellness industry for a little while got kind of toxic and the whole self-care thing. 
but more in the sense of if we really look at the way that our bodies are taking care of us, it's pretty amazing. And it, they, our bodies do take care of us in ways that are automatic. And we never really stop to appreciate it because, I mean, why would we? You know, there's nobody to tell us to do that. There's no real reason to do that. But to me, that's the key is learning how to trust yourself. And once you know that you can trust yourself, then it's a lot easier to try new things, but also remember that you do have these things in you. Um, I don't, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Um, I thought it might be interesting to sort of know your story and your background, but I understand obviously that can be quite traumatic. So if you don't want to do that, that's absolutely fine. But it sort of does lead into why you, why you uh, kind of founded Pretty Deadly, doesn't it? Yeah, why I do what I do. It's, um, it's not a problem. I speak about it openly. I've written about it. You can find my story online. Um, and I do want to say that it is no, so what happened to me happened 23 years ago. I forget if we're in 2023 or 2024. Um, and it's no longer traumatic. Right. And that's a really interesting thing because that just happened that sort of reaching the end of trauma. And that, that's been a really big part of my life recently. So I want to make that clear that trauma isn't necessarily forever. And that's a very important thing for people to know because I don't think we know that. Um, what happened to me, the very, very short version, you may have noticed that I have trouble answering questions in any kind of succinct way. Oh, that's um, fine for the purposes of this. That yeah. is brilliant. <laughs> Um, what happened to me was I was living in Los Angeles. It was the year 2000. Um, a man broke into my house in the middle of the night and tried to kill me. That's the very, very short version. There's a little bit more to it than that. He had kind of like, we could say, cased the joint. Um, I think he was loitering because some of my neighbors had warned me the night before that there was what we all thought was a peeping Tom, but I'm pretty sure was actually the guy. Um, nobody knew him, nobody saw him, nobody knew who he was. Um, but I think he was, he was trying to find the, the, the easiest target. And that happened to me, be me because of the apartment I was living in, because I was very alone in the sense of, I was still pretty new to town. So I didn't have a lot of friends coming and going. Um, so it would have been a lot easier to kind of make me disappear and, not have too many people look for me and not have people discover it for a bit. The, the event itself was in the middle of the night. As I said, it was um, at 4.17 in the morning because I remember looking at the clock. Um, and it maybe lasted like, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes. I don't really know myself because I was in it and I was in shock. Um, and then it was over and, and that was that. And the guy literally ran out the front door um, and, and, and took off and that was it. And as far as I know, he's never been caught. Although I have put in a request to the LAPD uh, earlier this year asking for my police report. So we'll see if he was ever caught or not. Oh, wow. And so that is, I mean, something that will obviously at, at the time, while that's fresh, that's something that, you know, you can go back to, you can't go back to a normal life 
for a while, surely, because you're always thinking in the back of your mind, even if they'd caught this person, I imagine in the back of your mind, there's always, well, is there someone else as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, you can never go back to a regular life. Your life as you knew it is finished. And I think this is one of the things that makes things so difficult for everyone who experiences trauma is a lot of the 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 aspects of trauma that that kind of continues or prolongs trauma for a long time and makes our lives very difficult when we've experienced so, a, a big traumatic event is that we're always trying to go back to that moment just before. Not necessarily 10 years before or six months before, it's just before your entire life changed. That's what you want to get back to more than anything else. But you can't. Your life is completely changed. And it takes a while to accept that and grow into it. And it certainly did for me too. Um, the way that trauma showed up for me over a long period of time was in the way that it shows up for a lot of women. And I think for men too, who experience violence, there's a lot of shooting yourself in the foot. Any new opportunity that seems really great, you manage to sabotage. Um, there's of course a lot of depression. There's a lot of paranoia. Um, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Um, there's difficulty connecting to other people. There's difficulty managing anger and rage. Um, it's just, it's hard until you sort of figure out and get to the point where you accept that, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to go, I, I can't go back to that place. It's just not there for me anymore. I can only go forward. So it's, it's complicated, but yeah, that's what pushed me into this because my first thought after, um, I don't know, a day or two after it happened was, I never want this to happen again, of course, but I felt like I couldn't, um, I couldn't control my body. I didn't know any martial arts for self-defense at the time, but even if I had, um, I was just reacting. So I couldn't focus on a target I couldn't choose any cool technique. I couldn't decide what my body did or didn't do. I had zero control. So I felt if that ever happens again, I want to train my body so that every move it makes naturally is as devastating as possible. Because if it ever happens again, I am not going to be the only one hurt in this situation. And that's how I found martial arts, because to me, that was going straight to martial arts and bypassing any kind of self-defense myself, which is telling you something about the state of self-defense. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, for people who've never been through that, you often see, and I mean, this is maybe toxic social media culture, but people going, well, I'd have done this. Well, why didn't you do this? Oh, yes. that happen? And until you've been in that situation, I mean, I, I, I'm guessing because I don't know. I've thankfully never been in that situation, but I can imagine you're not you're not taking a second to go. Hang on, if I do this, then this will, you know, it, it has to be. It just happens, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it really just happens. So, in a really threatening situation, your amygdala activates the most primitive part of your brain, and that's your fight, flight, or freeze center, basically. That also is activating, it has a really interesting relationship with memory. Um, and that's an important thing to know because what your brain is doing is kind of pulling up every single memory you've ever had, not all at once, but 
kind of pulling up every single memory you've ever had to see, is this a tool that I can use right now? Um, we all have a self-defense system and that self-defense system, if you've never trained martial arts or you've never taken a self-defense class, you still have a self-defense system. And that is not only kind of the way that you respond to things naturally, it's not only some of your biology. So for example, if you smell rotten food in the fridge, food doesn't really have a positive or negative smell, but for us, it might smell rotten because that's our self-defense system saying, don't eat this. As you know, you can also override that from time to time <laughs> and make stupid decisions because we're human and we do stuff like that. But if I were a seagull and I smelled that food, that might smell great to me. So, but it's our self-defense system that says, no, this is poisonous. Part of our self-defense system is also information that we've taken in over the course of our lives. Literally everything we've ever taken in. So watching action movies, listening to true crime podcasts, um, playing, you know, play fighting with friends, all of that stuff are also ways that we learn to defend ourselves. I think that these are really great things, but I think when, when women are thinking of self-defense, we're often thinking it's something we have to learn, something extraneous to our life experience, as opposed to something that's actually already incorporated or that we may be incorporating. Like really, if you, most true crime podcast listeners are women. And although we think it's because we love all the salacious details and, or we like to solve crimes or whatever it is, um, what we're really doing is learning how to defend ourselves in those situations because most of the victims in those true crime podcasts are women. This is, is obviously fascinating. And, you know, we're a very male focused, uh, organization and this, it is helpful. I think for dads, uh, the dads that are listening to understand that kind of frame of mind, because that's not something that we have to deal with particularly not i mean i can't speak for everyone of course but in general that's not how we focus on those situations it, it it's really interesting to hear that that has to be the mindset because i imagine for women there is more of a chance of being the victim isn't there it's um i prefer to use the word target a lot of people really feel uncomfortable with victim because it, it implies helplessness. Um, so target seems to be a bit more easy to swallow. Excuse me. <clears throat> I was swallowing a bunch of tea, so now I'm burping. Um, yeah, the mindset is, is really, really different in the sense of, you know, we, what I always say in my courses to all the women that are gathered there of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds and ages is every single woman knows how to make herself very small, very fast. And every woman in the room, regardless of her size or age or background will nod and go, yep, I know exactly how to do that. And when I've said that to a room full of men, men are like, mm, no, <laughs> I'm not really sure what you mean by that. So it, we start learning from a really young age that we're in danger. There is so much in society that tells us that. Regardless of how protective you are of your children, 
um, of how safe you try to keep them. And, and whether that's safety by keeping them, uh, kind of keeping them, I don't want to use the word isolated, but sort of keeping them wrapped in, in, in your care, or it's safety by providing them knowledge. Either way, it's you can't keep your daughters that safe. Unfortunately, there is just so much in society that tells us all the time you are in danger. So we start learning as very little girls how to protect ourselves, even though we're not very conscious of it. Almost every little girl has had some creepy adult man stare at her in a really penetrating way. And I don't mean 12-year-old girls. I mean five-year-old girls, four-year-old girls, girls who are too young to be able to articulate these things. And I know if you're listening and you have children, regardless of gender, and this information is really upsetting you, I apologize, but it's true. And if you ask your children, especially your children who identify as girls, they will confirm that. It's um, every girl, this is something else that I learned from the same, my, my name Cavalier brother um, who has two daughters. Every girl is afraid that someone will come in in the middle of the night and try to kill them. Every woman is afraid of that as well. And you can ask your partners and you can ask your daughters if your daughters haven't already gone through that phase of talking to you, that phase, sorry, of talking to you about it. Every single female human on this planet has that fear on the planet. And I say this because I work with women all over the world, if from Uganda to Pakistan, to Nepal, to Japan, to wherever, we all have this fear. And men never have this fear. So it's, it's the, the differences of what we're told as we're growing up are so vast. And a lot of that has to do with, with what we get to learn and what we get exposed to. It may be that little boys um, are also afraid of someone breaking in in the middle of the night, but little boys are also more exposed to TV shows and movies and play fighting and the kinds of things where they start to learn, hey, I can kind of take care of myself. Or I can imagine what it would be like because I'm watching, I doubt that any of you are allowing your small children to watch John Wick movies, but <clears throat> nonetheless, I've been watching these kinds of movies, whether it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which again is more appealing to boys than girls, or John Wick, and, and of course everything in between. Boys are learning these things and girls are not. Maybe that's what helps boys stay safe who grow up into men who, who are having a different experience. This I'm not really sure of, but I do know that we also get a lot of outside signals that tell us you're, you're never safe. So, so how can we um go about creating a different environment changing that how can we go about changing that what can we do either within our households or even in the wider world i think within your households a good thing to do with with your kids especially if they're showing signs of of this kind of fear of a fear that you can't see is to actually walk them through a plan. Let them know that you take them seriously. 
even if you even if like you just can't like it's driving you crazy why do you not why can i not make you feel safe i think is sometimes a frustration parents have but just take what they're saying that they don't feel safe and then walk them through the steps okay so if this were to happen what can we do let's walk through it let's map it out in the same way that you might map out a fire escape route map out a safety route map out plans that really really helps when you feel completely helpless because you don't know what to do that's what kind of amps the fear and the anxiety the fear that kids feel or the fear that kids experience especially girls who are experiencing that sexualized danger um it's really important to take that seriously and to pay really a close really close attention to your kids i see this all the time here in berlin and i know it's never intentional from dads um but i see for example somebody on the on the subway a father and daughter and the daughter is sitting on the, the there's two seats or one seat available and it's next to some old man and the father wants his daughter to sit down so that she's not moving around with the train she sits next to the old man he starts smiling at her and the father strikes up a conversation not recognizing the discomfort of his daughter mm -hmm. The father is, so now the daughter can feel quite betrayed, you know, and um, betrayed isn't really the right word because on the one hand, she'll know, like, I know you don't mean to do this, but on the other hand, can you not see how creepy this guy is? But I'm also too young to articulate any of this. So pay attention to your daughter's body language, pay attention to the way she's holding herself, especially around old men. Because, well, and young men who are creepy too, because what these kinds of people are doing is they're, they know they're getting away with it. They know that the dad that they're talking to isn't seeing what this little girl is experiencing. They know that they're playing a double game and they're having a really good time with it. So look at your daughter. Don't look at the friendly guy sitting next to your daughter. Don't encourage her to smile back at him. And if she's suddenly sh a lot shyer than she normally is, that's a really big signal that there's a problem. And she, you would be doing her a big favor to move her away. I think another thing that we can do is also help teach our kids, regardless of gender, how bodies work. Not only, you know, girls get to learn about our reproductive systems and we learn about our menses and we learn about um, a lot of emotions. We get names for everything. We actually have a really, really good education in emotional um, intelligence, as well as reproductive health, and a little bit about sexual health. I think we get a lot more than boys do. And I think that that's a problem, actually, because when boys don't know how to, or any human, when we don't know how to name something, then we have a tendency to kind of just like shove it away. I don't know, I'll deal with it later. But that means that you never really learn how your own sexual drive works. You never really learn how your own sexuality works. You never really learn how your own emotions work because you can't name anything. You're, you're devoid of a vocabulary. I think we need more of a balance. Whereas boys get lots and lots of body literacy, girls can also have body literacy 
girls get lots and lots of emotional intelligence, boys can have that too. And I think we need to be a little more conscious about, you know, how we're divvying this up and instead of divvying it up, just spreading it around. I think um, it's also important to watch your girls when they think you're not looking. I see this again, I don't have children of my own, um, but I see kids most, uh, apparently I'm on the subway a lot because I'm telling you a bunch of subway <laughs> stories. Um, I see girls in dresses and hair done up and they're kicking things and they're punching and they're making finger guns and they're tearing around. They're having a really great time. And the minute a parent looks at them, they're perfect little girls because they're not allowed to play like that. Right. Let them play. They love to punch and kick. Trust me. I have taught girls. They love it. Um, they love getting to know this stuff. They learn in different ways. We're socialized to learn in different ways. So they might not be punching a kick pad for like, you know, 50 minutes like a boy, but they're still going to get a lot out of it. And they like to learn the way that their bodies work. I think as a whole, as a society, that's, that's what it boils down to. You know, it's, it's, I heard a little bit of the end of Alex's, um, segment where he was talking about it's about clear communication and I think that's true here as well not only clear communication between parent and child um, about threats and helping your children learn how to articulate a threat is also very important um, but also clear communication about our bodies and our emotions across the genders or spread out among the genders I think that that levels the playing field a little bit for all of us. And it gives girls the kind of confidence that boys have. And it gives boys the kind of sensitivity that girls have. Yeah, it, it seems strange that there still is that, that kind of divide, which hopefully is getting better and people are becoming more aware of. But you, you're absolutely right, you know, that still there is very much a kind of, yeah, emotional intelligence for... Uh, for, for girls and uh, body intelligence and, you know, and, 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 you know, kind of playing and fighting and stuff for boys. It's, it's odd, but hopefully we, we can start changing that. We can start making differences. Uh, do you do, you do classes for children, do you? Um, we occasionally do. Pretty Deadly is mostly for adults. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but occasionally we do do classes for children we usually only work with them as a group. So we don't have like ongoing classes, but we'll do like a special workshop. Mm -hmm. And we've done classes for really young kids, like as young as four, um, all the way up to teenagers. They get different stuff because they have different concerns and different motor skills as well. Um, we do do this, we, this actually, I really like this thing that we do. Um, we're partnered with an organization called CAS Trips. They work with international schools around the world to provide, um, field trips for community action service that the kids usually have to do around high school age. And we're one of the partners. So they usually bring in a whole bunch of kids from somewhere exotic, like Malta or Qatar or something we teach them how to teach self-defense. And then as a group, we go and work with a nonprofit organization so that the kids that we've taught are now passing that information on to their peers. 
supervised, of course. Yeah. The last group that we had were so wonderful and also very efficient. So they got through their their sort of mini workshops really quickly. And then the kids that they were teaching, the kids in Berlin started teaching them. Right. Which was great. It was one of my favorite things I've ever seen. So yeah, we do work with kids, but we mostly focus on adults because although a lot of adult women don't feel like, you may not know this, but a lot of women, once they're married, feel like they don't have to worry so much about their safety anymore because now it's it's your problem. Right. <laughs> That's not really logical because you're not joined at the hip all the time, but I do think that this is another way that we're kind of socialized. Um, but because we're not joined at the hip all the time, we feel it is really important that adult women also learn how to learn, how to defend themselves um, because that's the way the world is at the moment. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it would be nice if you didn't have to do what you do, but unfortunately or fortunately for you, you do, I guess it's a lot, isn't it? That yeah. I mean, it's, it, I've been doing this for so long now that it started as a kind of, um, I don't want anyone to be a victim. And of course that's still very true. Um, and then a period of <clears throat> gender-based violence and patriarchy and, you know, smash it all, blah, blah, blah. And, and a lot of that is still true as well. I'm not a big fan of patriarchy. However, at this point, um, I look at things more in the sense of there is violence in every single species on this planet. And there's always a percentage of whatever species that's going to be more violent than others because they're on a certain spectrum of sociopathy or I don't know how you classify that for like plants, but nonetheless, in that way. I believe that women are targeted, women and girls are targeted um, simply because the people who inhabit violence are well aware of what information is withheld from us they know that we are less likely to know how to defend ourselves. So therefore we're easier targets because I think people who inhabit violence are going to do violence anyway. And it's just a matter of who are they going to do it to? There is gender-based violence that's very specific about gender. Um, there is violence that's used to humiliate because of gender I guess I'm trying to talk about rape without saying the word rape, but I, that's kind of silly. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, violence is violence. It exists. It's going to exist with us. It's always existed with us. It's always going to exist with us. But the fact that only half of us know how to defend ourselves or feel like we would be able to defend ourselves is where I see the problem. And so at this point, it's really just getting the other half up to speed. The people in habit violence, they're going to find another target. It's, it, they're, they're always going to have a target. But <clears throat> I feel that women, um, you know, it's been 2,000 years or so that we've been the targets. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, that focus could shift. We could use a break. But it's really not up to us whether the focus shifts. But what is up to us is to know how to use our bodies and know how to rely on ourselves. I feel that um, I say this a lot when I'm giving talks about Pretty Deadly in general, is that 
you know, women spend about 50% of our time strategizing how to stay safe. I don't know if men are really aware of that, that there, this is like a program that's always running in the background of our own safety. But that means that that's 50% of our time and energy that's, that's focused only on that and not being invested in our families, in our careers, in our educations, in our communities. One of the, the things we really wanna do with Pretty Deadly, our big vision mission, is to free up that 50% so that women can wholly contribute to their families and their communities and to the world in general. I think there's a job for all of us, isn't there, really? And I think to make uh, the streets less intimidating, there are things that we can do there. I mean, not walk behind a lone single woman late at night, uh, you know, maybe cross the road or whatever. And so, so there are all sorts of things. So I guess that that feeds into it as well. And then obviously what you're doing is, um, is, is giving women that confidence that if anything did happen, they know how to use their bodies to give themselves a chance, I guess. Well, I would say if anything did happen, you know you're going to do something. But I, I don't believe that we can prevent violence. I would just went off about that. Um, but I do believe that we can mitigate the effects of long-term trauma. And when we feel that we have taken action and had autonomy in disrupting violence as it happens, that's what lowers the risk of long-term trauma. That's what lowers the risk of you not being able to go back to those seconds before that thing happened. Right. So that's what we're, that's, that's my particular approach about self-defense. Okay. And if we uh, have people in our lives that um, would like to find out more, what, what can we find? Where can we find out the information? So you can visit us at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. What we do now actually is certify fitness professionals and martial artists to teach our program. Um, it's a, pretty rigorous certification. We're, cert we're accredited by SimSpa in the UK. So we have four trainers right now in the UK. Um, let's see if I can remember where everybody is. Uh, <laughs> we have Bill Little at Hanya Dojo in uh, Farnham in Surrey. Uh, I know he's, he's got some courses listed on his site for September. Uh, we have Jennifer Moray, who I can't remember where she is, but I know she's going to launch some courses, I think, in later this month or in June. Oh, she's online right now. I see her. Well, where are you, Jennifer? Can you type that in the chat? <laughs> um, we have Katarina Tarman, who is in Whitechapel, and Karis McRae, who is in London. I don't think either one of them are launching courses at the moment, but we list them all on our website so you can book directly with the trainers. Um, it's a six week course, one hour a week. Um, and, ah, hi, Wycombe is where Jennifer is. Thanks, Jennifer. Um, and yeah, that's where, if you happen to be calling in from anywhere else, we also have courses in the U S here in Germany and in Pakistan. So a worldwide operation, um, yes. and, and going from strength to strength, it seems. That's what we're, that's what we're going for. 
Yes. Susie, it's been uh, fascinating to talk to you, Susie. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and have you got any other messages you'd like to uh, to leave us with? Any more pearls of wisdom that uh, that we can take away from this chat? Um, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being here and speaking with you. And you know, I wanted to share something. As I said, I heard the the tail end of Alex's segment, and he was talking about um, answering a question from someone who said, "My boss really likes me." And I don't want to make the other, my, my colleagues jealous. And Alex was saying, you know, sometimes you have to step away from that emotion when you favor someone on your team over others. And I was thinking that's so interesting because when I teach martial arts, um, the same thing happens. You end up just like really liking one of your students and you, you can accidentally kind of give them really, really great training and everyone else sort of suffers from it <laughs> because you're having a really great time with that person. It's usually accidental. Um, and it's something you really have to be careful for because everyone is there equally. Everyone's paid the same amount. Everyone is there to learn the same stuff. Um, and it's just not fair to focus on one person. What that kind of sparked for me, and this is the pearl of wisdom that I will leave you with is if knowledge is the source of power, then withholding knowledge is an abuse of power. That's kind of a, a bit of a strange bridge, but, but to me, it's kind of the same when you're learning martial arts. So I think um, for me, that's just a great thing to keep in mind, especially when I'm teaching um, and especially when we're talking about giving access to martial arts, uh, or rather self-defense to, to anyone who actually really wants to learn it. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And, um, yeah, based on what we've been talking about as well, it just seems like this is something that if, ever, if we could get access to as many people as possible, and I know that is your mission, isn't it? That's your mission is to, to get to access to, for self-defense for people who might not be able to get it otherwise, then... Yeah hopefully you know we can you can you can do some real good with it um Susie thank you so much it's been fascinating to talk to you thank you I've really enjoyed being here